I, th I think mainly with, with the aging process, it's probably breaking down some taboos of actually talking about these things because they aren't, some of them aren't particularly pleasant and we do put them down to, oh, you're just getting a bit old, but for goodness sake, you've been around the block for a little bit. Don't just sign off because you've reached a point. Uh, let's, let's make them golden, like we say. I'm going to keep saying that. Yes, I always just think that aging is a, a fabulous, a fabulous thing. Um, but it should be something that we're very much in control of in terms of how it influences our health rather than the other way around. Hello and welcome to the Natural Healthcare Network podcast. My name is Deb McLeod and I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in. Today we have Phoebe Leibling joining us. She is a registered nutritional therapist and has been on previous shows with me. Today, we're going to be talking about aging well. We're gonna be talking about how Phoebe works with her clients and her tips and guides that she uses in order to get her clients excited and interested in making sure that they are as well as they possibly can be. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I did. Thank you so much for joining me today, Phoebe. It is great to have you on the show again. Thank you so much for inviting me back. I do so enjoy our sessions, Deb. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Today, we've decided that we're going to talk about, just talk about aging well, and we'll also talk about uh, tips for practitioners on working with clients to make sure that their clients are staying well, so and even practitioners stay well, practitioners like myself. Um, but you, as you rightly said before, we'll talk about things like menopause, prostate health, and um, helping people that are even more elderly, like I wish I had had been able to help my mom who has sadly since died but as she was getting older she really she one she sort of just lost any sort of desire to stay well so we'll talk a little bit about that as well and anything else that comes up are you happy with that that sounds absolutely perfect I can't wait okay so if we just kick it off this way do you work with a lot of older people and you could say older like me because as we said before I'm 56 so I'm older do you work with many people my age <laughs> hint hint <laughs> I do definitely and I I actually had a I have sort of across across the board I have a good range of clients who kind of fall from their early to mid 50s all the way up until they're sort of in their mid 80s and then I might actually see some of their younger relatives who are actually kind of coming to seek information to look after them instead. But I have a fabulous um, lady who I look after and I've been looking after for a while. And she is sort of approaching her early 80s now. And she says, no, 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 not old, just golden. We don't talk about old. <laughs> so I always think whenever I, I say I refer to somebody who is slightly more advanced in years, I think of them as being golden rather than older. Um, but yes, it's probably... I mean, I'd say that 60, 65% of my client base tend to be sort of more advanced in their years as opposed to the younger, younger guns who are still there, but they tend to be a little bit more robust and unless they're really savvy or they're particularly an elite sports person or something like that, or they're trying to have a baby, yeah. they don't tend to come through my door quite so much. It's more the, it's more the, uh, yes, slightly more advanced who seek my assistance. That's really fascinating. I love it. You kind of, you have those extremes of clients and we won't, we won't get distracted. I would love to talk to you about that another time, but it's really interesting that you're working with people who are really intense sports professionals. Are you working with professional athletes or just people who are in doing intensive training, um, amateur athletes? It's more the amateur athletes because if they're professional athletes, okay. they would probably have a team on board who already are kind of assessing what they're doing but it's more the people who are um I guess semi-professional very sort of enthusiastic maybe they're pushing themselves to do those long endurance races or they're doing that kind of stuff or they're doing very heavy weights or that kind of thing rather than okay. they're trying to fit it in on top of their normal lives which is actually quite quite a lot to put the body through uh, but they're not no it's not the kind of the Olympians I don't have them on my on my books just yet <laughs> <laughs> no, I just find it interesting that you do work with amateur athletes and then older people, which I guess in some respects, there's a, a theme going on there in my mind of different stresses, but on the body at, at a different stage of your life, because 
amateur athletes are putting huge stress on their bodies, whereas older people have those different sort of things that are kind of starting to fall apart a Mm. bit says one who has things that are kind of starting to fall apart a bit. (laughs) I don't believe it for a second, Deb. I think the the nice thing there is what you could, like you say, you tie them both together. And actually, when when we approach this from a functional medicine perspective, somebody who's younger but putting themselves into those really intense forms of exercise, what they're actually doing is they're almost creating a similar effect within the body in terms of inflammation and oxidative stress that you would naturally see as somebody progresses through their life as a sort of loss of efficacy, which is all that the, the aging process really is. It's the, the body becoming slightly tired in one sense that it's been doing the same processes over and over again. And naturally they become a little bit less effective and we see a little bit of a leaky gasket somewhere, or we see that actually, I don't know, the trash hasn't fully been taken out. And so it doesn't do it quite as well. But the way that we would manage that is probably in this sort of similar in the way that we would preempt all of that burden that we put on somebody who's in their mid to late 20s or early 30s it's it's sort of a mirror image but just created by two different uh, situations so i think that's that's always what i come back to with the joy of functional medicine that it's not it's not necessarily the the person in front of you in terms of their specifics but actually when you look at the underlying processes and the way that you would then approach them they're usually pretty pretty similar um, and so not that we would do exactly the same paintbrush strokes to, to everybody, but we can definitely adapt similar advice to um, different individuals. Gosh, I love that. It's really funny. I didn't. I just never would have made that analogy until we both started chatting, which is always fun and, and the beauty of functional medicine, as you say. But so if we jump, jump onwards to talking about aging well and helping our bodies, what are some of the things that you're finding with your clients? Is there a common theme that is coming up in your discussions, in your meetings with them? Or are there things that are just kind of all over the place that you have this and that, a variety of health issues? Which which are you finding? I think, again, if we, we sort of, we can kind of divide it into a couple of groups. I mean, there are the general things that I would look at, which somebody might not particularly associate with getting older. So as a really basic example, your ability to produce stomach acid lessens as you get a bit older. So somebody might find that they're getting a little bit more acid reflux or they're getting a bit more indigestion. Um, or maybe their hair, skin and nails get a little bit drier or a little bit more brittle. And obviously there are other factors that can be sort of influencing that, such as hormonal changes and all that kind of thing. But actually, if we just go very straight in at the basic point, if you aren't adequately making stomach acid, you are therefore not going to absorb your protein as effectively as you could, and you aren't going to change those electronic charges on your minerals to uptake them as effectively as you should be doing. So all of a sudden, we start to get a little bit more acid reflux because the stomach acid isn't sort of digesting everything. And then you aren't getting things like your zinc and your calcium and maybe uptaking your oils and all that kind of thing as well. So just as a very basic thing, when people come to me with those kind of like, oh, classic, I'm a little bit older and these kind of things are happening, I'm saying, well, actually, you know what, if we do a little bit of digestive support as a fundamental point for you, we can probably help those to improve. And that would tie in with maybe as another example, something like collagen synthesis. So yes, fine, our skin loses a little bit of elasticity as we get a bit older and we assume that we will get a few wrinkles and that's completely normal and absolutely fine, but not to the point that somebody's actually finding that their skin is sort of uncomfortable or it's really dry and really flaky. Um, And so yes, maybe we do just need to improve their protein uptake or maybe we supplement them with a little bit of collagen and a little bit of extra vitamin C just to help that process along. And that would not only tie in with the aesthetic appearance of your facial skin and your sort of skin all over your body, but also things like your connective tissues. So another very classic example is, oh, I'm getting a little bit stiff and a little bit creaky and I've got a bit of an ache here and there and yes, fine, we get a bit of wear and tear in the big joints and that kind of stuff. But it can just be that we need to sort of support those musculature bits and pieces, your tendons and your ligaments, by making sure that that collagen synthesis is nice and strong. Um, And again, it's mainly damaged by things like oxidative species. So when we're we're getting that sort of underlying inflammation going on in the body, that's going to target those tissues. So let's cut those off at the knees. Pardon the pun. And um, 
and just make sure that we're looking after all of those bits and pieces. So they're kind of classic things that I might see in general. And then if we divide between male and female, we've obviously got the classic the classic prostate issue for, for men and the amount of time I get people coming in and just saying, oh yes, no, I wake up five to six times a night, but I have done for the last 10 years. So I just assume that that's my, my basis. And I think, well, no wonder you also then feel a bit exhausted because again, antioxidants um, and oxidative stress, that all feeds into your energy production. So feeling a little bit more lethargic, fine. If you're still racing around as if you're a 20 year old, but you're now 50, I can understand that you'll be lower in energy. But if you have slowed down a little bit and your energy still isn't meeting your requirements, then that could be because your antioxidants aren't feeding in or if you're waking up at night because you've got urinary symptoms from slight prostate enlargement, which we can happily sort out. Or it might be that if you are peri or going perimenopausal or going through the menopause or even postmenopausal, women sort of go through that process so differently and those changes in hormones are huge. And the one thing that I think is, I mean... There has been such a mess when it comes to hormone replacement therapy. Um, and I've been reading and doing a lot of research recently into the use of um, transdermal, so patches or topical estrogen and progesterone for all of the menopausal symptoms that we see, one of them really being sleep, anxiety, and quality of life. Because if with all the other bits that have gone on and worries about breast cancer risk, a lot of that statistical stuff was misreported. And so many poor women are going through this process and coming out the other side and a very, very small amount of um, replacement hormones can literally be like day and night for them. Because again, that we have these at our disposal, but yes, I think I've gone off on a bit of a tangent here because it's something I'm quite interested in. But I would say to anybody, if you haven't read it yet and hormones in any way are of interest to you, you must read the book Estrogen Matters by Dr. Avram Blooming. It's revolutionary. He's It's so interesting. And yes, I can, I'll hold my hand up and say that's it. That's a must read for everybody. <laughs> you know, it's, people don't, well, there's so many women that I, I talk to more and more about and just friends that happen to say, you know, I'm, I'm really having difficulties with, uh, with going through the menopause. And it, it cannot be negated what it actually does feel like. There's so many of us that I just, I feel really low. I'm feeling anxious. It just can't be this. I, I mean, I was that way. Mm -hmm. I was so low. And, and I went on HRT, yeah. honestly. I did. It was the best thing I could have ever done for me at the time. It was the right thing for me. And I, I'm so, I just, it was like flicking a switch for me overnight. Absolutely. That's exactly. And I find it so often with so many clients. And I think that the other thing that people don't, don't realize is you have estrogen receptors everywhere. You have so many in the brain. It's also all in the, you have them in your musculature as well. So things like suddenly becoming incontinent which is something that does happen to women because you've got all of those estrogen receptors in your pelvic floor. How awful must that be to then that, for that to sort of, you seem like it's your, your kind of, your continuation from there. And I, I will at this point also say that there are plenty of non-hormonal interventions that you can offer yeah. to somebody. So for example, sage is absolutely brilliant if you've got issues with hot flushes or soaked yeah. coriander seeds, which... Um, I mean, you literally take a tablespoon of, of coriander seeds, like the ones you'd get in your, your herb cupboard, um, and you lightly crush them, soak them overnight in water, and then just strain and drink the liquid. And those kind of things are very regulatory on the hypothalamus. So they help with, with the temperature regulation. So for some people, that might be enough. But for others, yeah. the hormones are there. And I think that, that, like I say, there is a huge fear behind taking HRT because yeah. we were sort of reported with the nurses study and all this kind of thing and told that we were going to have double the risk of breast cancer. But actually, when you look at the statistics, that's going from 0 0.1 in 100,000 to 0 0.2, which, or something along those lines, like, I mean, it's, it's misreporting on a very grand scale, and it's quite, quite hugely scaremongering. So if you, if this is you, and you are listening, and you are having those kind of problems, 100%, if you want to go natural first, there's plenty at your disposal, there's isoflavones, there's all those kind of things, phytoestrogens, you can try, if that doesn't help, 
don't think that you don't have something else in your pocket. Um, always transdermal rather than oral. Um, but yes, absolutely speak to your GP and also get them to check your testosterone levels because they don't tend to do that for women. Um, and it's not that you would necessarily need testosterone, but it might be again that it's that day and night thing of if you were already taking HRT, but you don't find that you've got the full resolution of those symptoms, a teeny tiny bit of testosterone might be the answer. So we talk about the menopause and we talk, well, some of us talk about the menopause. <laughs> I did read today that apparently in the UK, we're going to add it to the curriculum for the first time ever, really? which seems completely mad, seeing as you know, 50% of our population are female and everyone's going to go through one. Um, but yes, it's going to be added to the curriculum. Hooray. Um, but yes, there is, oh. I know what's happening. At this point, I will just mention there is such, such things in andropause for men as well. Again, there is very much to be said about if you are male and you suddenly feel like your energy has disappeared and your vim and vigor is gone and all of that kind of thing. Don't hang around and just think that that's it. Go and get it checked out. Maybe your testosterone's dropped just a little bit and you just need a little bit of support because it's there. Um, yes, I, th I think mainly with, with the aging process, it's probably breaking down some taboos of actually talking about these things because they aren't, some of them aren't particularly pleasant and we do put them down to, oh, you're just getting a bit old, but for goodness sake, you've been around the block for a little bit. Don't just sign off because you've reached yeah. a point. Uh, let's, let's make them golden, like we say. I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th I think what's also interesting, you know, Phoebe, is that as practitioners, as functional medicine practitioners, nutritional therapists, we, we are really want to do the, the food first approach. And as you say, using the, the sage and the coriander seeds, I really love the coriander seeds. I, I don't know why I hadn't tweaked that one before. But I just think it's that bridge between the holistic healthcare and conventional medicine, which, you know, I'm really keen on and feel so important. And I think that, like you say, being able to bridge a gap between complementary and conventional medicine, I think is really important because to be honest, from our perspective as practitioners, I, I think, that, well, it gives us more objective measures. I mean, we know that we can go in for functional testing and all that kind of stuff, and we can find more specific information that a GP wouldn't be able to offer. But at the same point, a really basic blood test or things like a DEXA scan for bone density, these are all things that you can get for your clients relatively easy with a well-worded letter that then actually give them a little bit more reinforcement for the slightly less easily understood thing. So before I send somebody to their GP, I'll say, well, in terms of the prostate, what I want you to understand, if we use this as an example, is the reason you're getting urinary symptoms is because you've got this enlargement and you've got this inflammation. So what I want to do is I want to try first with my little arsenal of things, which are saw palmetto, which is absolutely fantastic. And I personally use drops with people if they're having really bad urinary symptoms, especially at night, I would I would actually still give them two doses a day. So I tend to use the BioForce, the Avogel drops, 20 drops in water, first thing in the morning, first thing in, uh, last thing at night. Then I also look to top up their zinc levels and there I use lycopene, which is that lovely antioxidant that you get in your cooked tomatoes and your watermelon and all that kind of stuff. Very simple foodie inclusion there would be to do something like, <laughs> I almost I therapeutically dose these poor chaps with <laughs> pumpkin seed oil and tomato puree, organic tomato puree, and I get them to make a little paste. <clears throat> and they, I use it as either a spread on some toast or a seasoning for something, or they mix it through grains. But that is their, their therapeutic daily food inclusion. And they can have some pumpkin seeds as well. Um, but if you use those, um, and you can use some other antioxidants and other bits and pieces. And nettle root actually is very good as well. So if you, say, have a guy who doesn't, doesn't want to drink loads of water, get him having some nettle tea. Maybe kind of make it into an iced tea and get them to sip on it throughout the day. At least it's a bit more interesting. But I like things like, um, I think Terra Nova do a lycopene nettle um, and zinc prostate support. And there are other, other complexes but they would be my thing. So I, I would get a gentleman to do that. And usually, especially with the sore palmetto, they'll see quite good improvements in terms of those urinary symptoms. But then also you just get them to go and have a test um, for things like their PSA and all that kind of stuff. But you don't, you need to sort of, you do it 
based off the back that they can see that your stuff is working. So then if they get offered additional bits, they can kind of say, well, actually, I don't need to go down that path at this point in time. Um, and if they don't find that they get resolution from your zinc lycopene saw palmetto or they get some, but they don't get all, then things like reishi mushroom are really useful as well. So you've got plenty or disposal from the natural perspective. But like you say, bridging that gap and encouraging conversation as well, I think with a GP is good for your client, but it's also good for you because you show that you've got something to offer and it actually probably, well, I mean, even if it's the teeniest, tiniest seed, if you plant it in that GP's mind and they see a positive progression in their patient that they don't have to medicate for, then hopefully that will grow very slowly from a tiny little seed into a giant oak tree. But we can only do what we can do. <laughs> yes, yes, it's true. Mm -hmm. It's true. Do you find you're working more and more with your clients GPs working in sync with them I do one of the big things especially actually it's a very interesting thing to touch on with this this age group as well is to work adjunctively with GPs in terms of polypharmacy and medications because as you get older naturally people will you will find that somebody who is 55 65 is in sort of much more likely to be taking at least one medication compared to somebody who's a lot younger. Um, and it might be that, say, for example, if it is the acid reflux thing, and they have found that they've had a very stressful career, or they've just progressively been getting more issues, or maybe they've developed a hernia, and they're actually on a very high level of a, um, a PPI or something like that, even if you don't take them off it completely, you could maybe help them to decrease it because you've helped them to understand why it's negative for them to be taking at that high dose for such a long period of time or it's that they were on a statin for high cholesterol and actually now over the period of the last four or five years their hba1c and their, their blood sugar has started to creep up because there is a link there so being in touch with the gp and saying actually before you put them on something for their blood sugar or before you go down the uh, the route of the NHS giving them shakes for six to 12 months instead of actually getting them to eat, um, then you can sort of say, well, we're going to approach it from this perspective and we've actually got them to do this and we've addressed their stress response and we've got their weight to come down and actually, oh, look, the HbA1c is normalized. So again, it's about having that, that communication open, um, but still being very much in touch with the GP because I don't think it's ever good to tread on another physician or practitioner's toes. So it's always good to just kind of encourage, yes, encourage open doors because also, again, you will probably need to ask them for retests or you will need to ask them for a referral somewhere else because it might be that your client doesn't have the means to privately test for something. Um, so, yes, always always very kind and very open with communication and, and very encouraging and very thankful and grateful that these wonderful doctors do help because a lot of them are very, very helpful. Yeah. It's interesting. A variety of doctors in, in the stages and phases of receptiveness to um, nutritional therapy and functional medicine practitioners. Mm. Do you find when your clients come to you, you have a variety, as we were talking about before, you've got some that are in their 50s and just saying, yeah, we want to we want to just make sure that we stay well. And then you've got some that are older. How how are they coming to you? Are they word of mouth or is it I'm guessing it's going to be all through referrals knowing you? It's it's a combination. I think I am lucky at this point now that I have quite a solid sort of client base and they do chat to somebody at a to know a dinner or they've spoken to somebody's aunt's wife's cat or whatever and they've said oh yes we went and saw her and she sorted this out maybe you should be in touch with her or it could be that I've done a random conversation on Instagram with somebody or that kind of thing um or I do have a referral base of physios and consultants and all those bits and pieces but that's something that has to be fostered very carefully over time because also you're only as current as as I don't know, as you have, you're not always the first person on their desk, unless you've known them for a very long period of time. So you have to keep up that, that communication. Um, and yes, also, it doesn't doesn't hurt that I've had my own tumbles and falls and 
breaks and bangs and things over the last few years <laughs> when I go in and see a consultant to get them to patch me back together and then end up having a conversation about how probiotics improve endurance cycling or how actually you can sort out gout with an adaption to diet and supporting uric, the uric acid clearance they go oh how interesting I've got a patient who might want to come and see you <laughs> and then you just spray cards everywhere and leave in a in a cloud <laughs> So you actually have those accidents on purpose, don't you? That's Absolutely. your ploy. Yes, that's it. That's, that, that is what I will tell everyone. It was, it was for the good of the general cause. That's why I needed to do that. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. And what are you finding with regards to, to weight? Because we know that, that really people's weight in general, and I'm generalizing, so I'm saying in general, um, are you finding weight is a really big factor for most of the people you see, or is it more stress and energy levels? I think they go hand in hand. I think if weight, weight could be something that is a result of just completely poor dietary management, not really understanding what you should be eating, how you should be exercising. Um, but then for most people, if they've got something else going on and they are generally active, then it's usually down to a poor stress response, poor energy levels, meaning that they make poor dietary choices, um, or sort of like a combination of a few of those things. And things obviously like your um, raised blood sugar, if you've got issues sort of towards the pre-diabetic boundary, it's fighting sugar cravings. If you wake up in the morning and you already fancy something sweet and then you have a poorly balanced breakfast that, I mean, again, it depends on how old the person is, but it might be that they have habits that are endemic that they grew up with. So maybe they have fruit juice and toast and cereal for breakfast because that's what they've always eaten. You have to very gently re-educate them to say, well, in, in your instance, the reason that you then feel starving again at 11am is because you actually haven't balanced your body's sort of energy intake. So fine, we'll leave you with toast, but we'll take away the cereal and we'll make it a whole grain sourdough or a really good dark German rye. And instead of having butter and jam, you're going to have something like avocado and boiled eggs or something like that. And you just have to kind of re-educate in that sphere. But yes, I think in our modern lifestyle and our modern approach to food weight is always going to be something what well, I won't say always 80% of the time there will be a need to address either global weight loss or targeted weight loss in terms of it being very much centered around the middle and if you've got somebody who's been referred to obviously with cardiovascular concerns or anything to do with chronic health conditions and they've also got that middle um, that middle weight, that's something that you obviously need to target quite quickly, but it's not that you put them on a calorie deficit and just go, right, that's it, off you go. You need to look at why they're holding it there and that will probably come down to, if it's a chap, then maybe he is a bit stressed and he's waking up all the time. So you actually, if you target his prostate and get him sort of uh, eating in a better way, then you'll find that they actually, those things kind of come away. It's not just about removing some of the foods it's about working out what's going on and probably I think one of the best or the easiest most easily implemented dietary protocols for that and for somebody who's a little bit older in terms of longevity is intermittent fasting um, and it has great the brilliant thing about intermittent fasting is what you're doing is you're giving the body the opportunity to recover and regenerate when it's not digesting um, it also retrains things like your insulin response. It teaches people whether they're really hungry or not. And it's more of a routine. So for somebody who's not used to, say, eating huge amounts of green vegetables or having salmon and broccoli for breakfast or that kind of thing, what you say to them is, we're actually going to do that progressively over time and you can become better at that. But for now, what I want you to do is get into this idea of routine. So have plenty of fluids when you're not eating, try and get a grip on this overall structure. And what you'll probably find then is things like your hunger signaling becomes a lot more balanced. And then you have the clarity to be able to pick better when it comes to your meals and you'll sleep better and all of that kind of stuff. It, it very nicely links together. And we've got the other 
bits that we don't need to necessarily tell them about, which is that it helps with DNA regeneration and muscular recovery <laughs> and liver detoxification. So we've got all of that in the back of our brains. But for your client, what they actually see is that they wake up in the morning and they feel bouncier. Um, they feel more clear-headed. They hopefully slept quite nicely and then they feel hungry for their breaking the fast meal, which they know how to piece together now. So, yes, pick up the intermittent fasting. You generally do the, um, do you do time restricted or do you do the 5-2 the with them or is it a variety of, of measures with the clients? I think it would depend. I prefer to go for the time restricted as opposed to the 5-2 because the one thing about the 5-2 is I find that it's more restrictive and actually if you're talking to somebody and as soon as you start saying I only want you to eat 500 calories on a day you've immediately the word deprivation just comes flashing to the front of my mind so actually if you say to somebody it's not about the calories that you're eating obviously if you are and also I think that there's an element of flexibility so I know that the the basic um program is 16-8 But I will say to somebody that this still needs to work for your lifestyle and the body loves routine. So if you can do 16-8 and that works really well for you and you can aim to break your fast at the right at the same time and aim to have dinner at the same ish time, then that's fantastic. But also if you're going to go out on a Saturday night and you or you want to have people over for dinner, then make the fast um, 14-10 that day. It does. It doesn't matter so much. The one thing I will say is I'm quite picky about where the window lies I don't like people eating too late at night. So I would say 16-8, but I don't really want you to be having that last meal after 7.30, especially in the winter. Because if we think about how that's going to feed into energy and cortisol and melatonin, it's fine if you've had a 16-hour fast, but you've decided to break it at 2 or 30 in the afternoon. But then if you're eating way into when your body should be asleep, that's not actually the optimum picture. So... Yes, yeah, 16, 8, 10, 14, but mainly make sure that that window is still lying in an optimum point in terms of when your your body actually wants to be wakeful and when it wants to be relaxing as well. Yeah, I think it was uh, Michael Greger that said that window should be earlier and so like yours, not eat after eight o'clock. And actually, I think his is even earlier than that. But um, yeah, I think that that has made a big difference for many people. Now, another question I have is, you know, when you, oftentimes when you get older people, they are not as interested in making those changes or shifts. How do you, how do you get them to at least take those few steps? Because once you get the buy-in, we know that once a client, once we see someone and they see these changes starting to happen, they're like, oh, this is great. I like this. So what do you do, Phoebe? Because you, you have, you're very creative. You're always coming up with different ways of encouraging your clients to, to get these changes and to, to jump on board. I'm, I'm not saying it's the easiest thing for you, but you seem to have great success. So what do you do to get them to at least try? So my thing is I have almost two lists in my mind. I have my list of priorities And then I have their list of priorities. So I always think, and it was actually something that was told to me by um, my darling mother, who has been a physio for almost 40 years. So she knows her way around uh, a patient or a client, Mm -hmm. let's say. Um, And she always said, if you listen, they'll tell you what they want. And so I'll be sitting there and I'll be thinking, right, well, I'm looking at your blood test and I can see X, Y, and Z. And I'm thinking about this bit and I'm thinking about your DNA replication. And I'm thinking about all of that kind of stuff that's going on way behind the scenes. But actually what you're telling me is that you want to be, I don't know, bouncing around with your grandchildren a little bit more, or you want to get rid of that tummy fat, or you have really bad sweet cravings or those kind of things. So I actually pick the two top things of theirs first, and you get them sorted. So obviously, you're going to deal with the underlying process. But if it is the fact that say, for an example, for example, if you've got a lady in front of you, and she says that she's got horrendously dry eyes and horrendously dry mouth, get those sorted, get her um, use things like flaxseed oil, because ALA is really, really nourishing for those um, mucous membranes, even just something sim- simple as getting her some natural eye drops or coconut oil pulling for the mouth. I even have I have a lady who um, has an autoimmune condition that means that those mucous membranes are very, very dry. And so I said to her, well, all you need to do is those, do you know, those teeny tiny pots of coconut oil, 
pop one in your handbag. And when you get to that point that that meat, that dryness really comes in, because she was sort of swigging water the whole time and it just wasn't helping. I said, put as if you're about to moisturize your lips with the coconut oil, put a little bit on your little finger and just rub it on the inside of your mouth. And she said, because huh. it, it nourishes the oral microbiome anyway, so it's going to nourish that membrane, but also you've given some lubrication. And within two days, I had an email from her saying, you've just, I don't even know why I never thought of it, but she took it to her consultant and her consultant's got everybody doing it. So it's just very <laughs> simple things like that. Or if you've got somebody doing intermittent fasting, but their thing, and they kind of, they understand that it's sort of a diet, but it's more of a lifestyle choice and they kind of get it, but they're not really going to get it. Get them up in the morning and say, what I want you to do is I want you to promise me that every day or at least five days a week, when you get up in the morning, I want you to have 300, 400 milliliters of water. I want you to take some branch chain amino acids, so your BCAAs, and I want you to go out for a 45 minute walk. And it can be a walk at your happy pace, but I want you to feel like you've sort of broken a sweat. And if they've got a bit of a mobility issue, maybe they, I don't know, they've got an injury or they're feeling a bit creaky, then say, well, do a little bit less, but maybe add a gentle weight to it. So put on some ankle weights or put on some wrist weights or do a 20 minute walk and then come back and do 10 minutes of squats and calf raises and all that kind of stuff. You can adapt it to based on, sort of to be based on how active they already are, because if somebody's completely inactive, then 20 minutes of walking is absolutely fine because it's something from nothing. But if they're already doing stuff, then maybe you add the weights or you add some additional sort of functional exercises. But what you're going to do there is you're going to encourage the body to utilize stored energy, so fat, and you're also going to balance their insulin response and their hunger signaling for the rest of the day. So in terms of them feeling good and actually seeing more rapid weight loss, that's going to come off pretty quickly. So within three, four weeks, you might see that they drop a couple of kilograms, which for somebody who's a bit older is actually quite a lot. And if you yeah. can get that to happen in a relatively short period of time and then explain to them that actually over the next six months, you want to do quite a lot more stuff with them and maybe you want them to put more effort in, they'll buy into that. So it's, yes, I have my my priorities, which probably <laughs> come down to the, like I say, the less interesting bits for them. Um, but <laughs> I will also have theirs and we kind of, we do two of theirs, one of mine, and then gradually move, move over to my list over time. <laughs> <laughs> you're in control yes I am but yes. I make it seem like they are <laughs> <laughs> I love it yes I remember you're saying with some of your clients you make them get a rucksack and put things in their bag and there and and have them sort of walk briskly up hills um yeah. if they're going to work instead of and just so they get those extra bits of exercise in and they're not causing any strain on those a great idea they're really good mm. ideas i I just know that there are various people who, who who will say, you know, their clients come to them, they're asking for help, and you know, one of the things that we that that uh, nutritional therapists can fall foul of is sending uh, plans that are just way too much information. But there's also that buy-in from the clients of really, as you say, sort of eking out what it is they're really wanting to do. And I think the emotional pull of being able to play with their grandchildren more is a really good one. It's a really mm. good tool. I would say that progressively over my years of practice, the thing that I have noticed is that less is more. And I think also if you are a practitioner who's starting out, or even if you've been established in practice for a while, feel confident that what you explain to somebody in person or via video call in this wonderful world of video conferencing um be confident yeah. that that is enough for them so that when you actually give them written information because if you think that i think i can't remember the actual statistic people only read a certain amount of words per sentence and there are those fun games when you actually chop out words and you can still make sense of it so if you think that somebody's only ever going to read maybe five or six of the words that you've actually written don't put 25 words there put eight so Give them bullet points. And if you want to, so obviously some people will want more explanation and that's absolutely fine. And you'll know that from when you've had a conversation with them. But I would, I would previously have given much more than I do now. And so what I do is when I actually write my plans is I make it very, very obvious. And I would give them sort of like a subtitle bullet point and say what it is, give them the direction as to how much they were going to include or when they can have something. And that's literally one line. It doesn't go on to the next line. And they get a sub bullet point that might have something like 
a product link or a clarification on how to make something in a recipe. But again, when they see the page, it's well spaced and they'll get, for an initial, they might get a double side and then get a supplement um, protocol or maybe they've got uh, some lifestyle suggestions and I've actually written out some specific, specific exercises for them so it's a bit longer but a double side is plenty and then get them to come back and see you sooner so three and a half weeks four weeks on a double side and say I want you to pick two of these things and do them now and then once you've got those in as habits you do the rest of them and then we'll review in three and a half weeks and it might be that they still only do 75% of what you've said but it's far better to do that than to give them if somebody sent me 16 pages of stuff I probably still wouldn't read it and I would find it interesting (laughs) so yes be confident that you've given them enough in your hour or however long amount of time when you've seen them and then just give them the raw materials that they can put into practice rather than having to sift through little things and work out what it is that you're actually trying to get them to do Yeah, really good. That's really good. So if we sort of jump on to other things with your your plans, you alluded to this a bit. I'm curious about how much is going to be food-based. I'm sure that depends on the person and how much is lifestyle. Do you do a real good mix of those? I'm really very much into uh, a lot of lifestyle stuff as well and, and how to just help people manage their stresses because I feel that's such a, a vital part of their health and well-being. What, what's your mix now with clients? What do you find? It will, again, it, like, it will always depend on the person, but I think that um, it's usually, I wouldn't say a 50-50 split, but I think that things can always be improved for somebody or you can always give them a little bit more insight. Um, so, I mean, I don't think I've ever had somebody come to me, even if they're eating what they think is a squeaky clean diet that I couldn't improve in some way. So there will always be something to do with fluid intake, or even if it's that they drink plenty of water, but maybe their electrolyte levels are a little bit off, or they get a little bit bored of doing something, or they're having too much caffeine or anything like that. Or we can just, I always look to add in to people's diets. So maybe they eat loads of green vegetables, but they don't eat very many herbs, make it a little bit more exciting, or they add too much salt to their food. So we think about how we can encourage different flavors without having to use those kind of additions. Um, Lifestyle stuff, I obviously remain firmly within my scope of practice, but with sort of bits of exercise and that kind of thing, I would encourage somebody perhaps to explore, I mean, weight-bearing exercise is an incredibly important part of getting older well, because when we look at things like the bone structure, um, what we want to do is we want to have We want to give cause for your body to maintain it. And one of the things that happens with the skeleton as we get older is you have these two sets of um, cells. You've got your osteoblasts and your osteoclasts. So your blasts build and your clasts cut. They get rid of. And what you have when you're younger is you have quite a um, a well-balanced balance between the two. So you're kind of building and you're chopping and you're building and you're chopping. So you're getting good remineralization and good, strong, healthy bones. As you get a little bit older hormones will also influence this as well but your osteoblast activity naturally goes down so you're not building as effectively as you could be um, and you'll still be kind of getting rid of bone over time and I think the I think your peak bone mass from actually from the age of 30 um, you will start to lose bone mass progressively over a period of time um, over the rest of your life so what you want to do is you want to make sure that you're supporting osteoblast activity. And the way that we do that is by causing stress on the skeleton. So doing things like a little jump on a trampoline, or, I mean, you don't need to get somebody skipping if they've got arthritis in their knees, but you can get them to step up onto a step and step down again with a rucksack on or without a rucksack on, or work against a resistance band, or do something like Pilates, or pick up a water bottle and get them to do some really gentle bicep curls, all of those kind of things. Whenever you put stress on the structure of the on the bone structure, that then means that the osteoblasts wake up and they work a little bit harder. And then they'll go around looking for your calcium, your magnesium, your vitamin D, your vitamin K2, and dragging those things into the skeletal structure. So this would stand true for something that everybody should be doing, whether they are 27 or they're 87, they should all be doing something. But if you do have somebody who comes to you and says, I am osteopenic or osteoporotic then you need to be really hot in on making sure that that weight-bearing exercise 
is featuring. And obviously, like I say, you adapt it to their to their capabilities and their body um, sort of issues if they have any already. Um, and just, I mean, if, if you are working with this age group, you do need to become aware of things like the medications that somebody might be taking for osteoporosis, some of which are nicer than others. And whilst we are mm-hmm. touching on that, calcium, uh, dietary, when we look at studies, dietary calcium with supplemental vitamin D, magnesium, and vitamin K2 is far more effective than if somebody comes to you and is taking something like calcium carbonate with vitamin D3. So that is a very, very easy one to talk to somebody's GP about and say, I would actually, because of X, Y, and Z, this clinical study, this blah, 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 I would very much like to swap them onto a beautiful bone supportive supplement that has all of these bits and pieces um, and take them off the whatever it is that they've been given instead. It used to be ADCAL, but it's now been um, uh, been renamed into something else. But yes. that would be quite an important one. And I guess while we're talking about it as well, vitamin D, you probably need on top. As you get older, vitamin D is very important. Naturally, people get a little bit cooler. They might cover up a little bit more and not get out and about in the sun so much. Or it might be the opposite. They might be out in their gardens, gardening away and getting lots of sun exposure. Um, but do be sure to check vitamin D because it's not just about the bones. Vitamin D is integral for the brain. So when we look at things like neurodegeneration, optimum le- optimal levels of vitamin D um, actually protect the brain tissue. But if you get up towards things like if we start looking at things like Alzheimer's, um, vitamin D in very high doses or just really good optimal levels have actually been shown to clear Lewy body plaques from, from the brain. So it's not just a preemptive, it can also be a therapeutic as well. So always, always, always vitamin D needs to be just check once a year, just check that the levels are good. And when I say kind of good, I'm looking at above, above 80 for somebody who's a little bit older, just to make sure that you're covering all the bases that need to be covered and you're covering them well, <laughs> especially if you live in the Northern Hemisphere or away from the equator. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most everyone should just probably take it in the UK anyway, although we have had sunshine this year, which is a miracle. We have. This is true. This mm, is true. Yeah, it's just whether we can get out and expose that um is it 15, 20 minutes on skin that wouldn't usually be mm-hmm. exposed? And when I was doing my training, my lecturer very hilariously told us a story about um, an Italian grandmother who decided to go out and expose her bottom to the midday sun, um, much to the distaste <laughs> of her neighbours, but it was for her vitamin D level. Uh, so, yes, get out gardening in your knickers or make sure to supplement. <laughs> You might want the moon to check is rising. Which, <laughs> yeah, you might want to check which clients you say this to. <laughs> some of them will find it hilarious, and some of them will run away from you. I love that. That's really good. That's really good. What a lovely thing to talk about. Yeah. Um, right. So, what haven't we addressed? The only thing I would mention is, I think, from the other group that we sort of spoke about. Say, if you have an elderly parent or a, a grandparent who maybe is quite significantly more advanced in years and and is actually not very well, um, is just to look out for signs of things like confusion um, and always, always check. My grandpa is the worst example of this. The the man won't drink water. Apparently when he was growing up, you didn't drink water. So they can dehydrate very, very quickly. um, But also if they become confused, it can be because their electrolyte levels have dropped. So if you do find that somebody is confused, unsteady on their feet, the first thing to do is dehydration, electrolytes, but also kidney and urinary function because UTIs are absolutely rife. And again, it's a postmenopausal issue or a menopausal issue to do with those estrogen receptors and the change in the vaginal microbiome when you go through the menopause. So D-mannose and good cranberry extract. If it's something that you suddenly find that you are struggling with, it's completely normal because of those changes. But at the same point, chuck in a D-mannose supplement and avoid taking endless rounds of antibiotics or being uncomfortable. And for gents as well, take the D-mannose because if you get with a, with a chap, if you get a UTI, that's going to go to the kidneys a lot more quickly. And a kidney infection in an older person is a pretty serious issue. Um, and it can lead to confusion and being quite significantly unwell very, very quickly. So, yes, yeah. that would be my, my kind of three things. Um, and especially if people aren't moving. Again, they don't realize that they're thirsty. They will probably be wrapped up a little bit more. They'll be sitting in a warm room 
all of that kind of stuff. So they would be my my bits and pieces there. Um, I'm trying to think. There were a couple of other things I was going to mention. Oh, uh, things like zinc. Zinc tends to drop, uh, and zinc is very important for your taste perception. So one of the things, and I mean, very sadly, one of the things that can happen is as you get a little bit older, people might lose their partner. If they've been with somebody for a long period of time, yeah. you have to understand that there's a lot of emotional changes that can happen, or it might be that their their other half becomes quite unwell and they have to look after them. So yeah. looking at emotional support, and again, only within your scope of practice, but do have mm-hmm. a nice wealth of other people who can support your clients there. And there are some absolutely fantastic initiatives within the UK and elsewhere that offer support groups for different people. So do explore those in your area and reach out. Because again, as a practitioner, they they might need somebody like you to come in and do a talk somewhere, or they might want to refer somebody out. So do open up those lines of communication. But if you do find that somebody, say, has started to not eat particularly well, it could be emotional, but it could also be that if their taste perception has gone because their zinc levels are low or their overall nutrient status is low, they don't find food exciting anymore. Um, and I think I, when you say about me being creative, I'm very good at the, um, I call them the one pan, one man recipes. So mm-hmm. if you do, if you do <laughs> yeah, find, you, <laughs> you find somebody who now has to suddenly start cooking for themselves, but they really don't want to, or they aren't particularly interested in it and they want 10 minute things, have a couple, they don't need to be your own written recipes, but have a few things in your back pocket that you can say, right, I want you to go and buy a tin of salmon a bit of broccoli and a potato and some eggs and you can get them to make some fish cakes or something very simple that's quite familiar but it's very nutritious um yes so those are things because ultimately what you do want as we said at the beginning when somebody's getting older we're just seeing more oxidative stress we're seeing more inflammation so we want antioxidants we want color we want vibrancy and it might be that they aren't used to sitting down and eating a wonderful superfood salad and if their stomach acid is a bit low, they're not going to really enjoy that anyway. So get them blending things in and trying to get them to have herbs rather than um, just lettuce. Because, I mean, my other grandparents loved a good iceberg lettuce. Iceberg lettuce and tomatoes mm. and cucumber. Mm. And that was mm-hmm. a salad. Um, so if I'd mentioned the word kale, she probably would have laughed at me. But at the same point, if you were going to make cauliflower cheese, which was something that they adored, why not do cauliflower and broccoli and add some spinach to it? I mean, yeah. it's use their use their normal food and switch it up a little bit. Um, but yes, so those are those are kind of simple things. But that's more for more extreme cases, I guess. Yeah, well, it's just slow and surely, but like you say, just switching things up and adding a few things that actually they think, oh, that's not too bad. Mm. Um, I mean, years ago when I was, my mom had to start getting us, switching us over from white bread to whole meal bread. I mean, she had to do all kinds of creative things. It's just about the same. I mean, my word, you know, it's just, uh, giving them something interesting and, and having it, giving them the opportunity to try something new. So, so I'm guessing that you are, you, we've talked about this before, you you must work with a variety of people. I know you've got Dan that we've talked about before. You must have a variety of people that you work alongside, that you refer clients to as far as support, because I know it, it is important to stay within our remit and, and doing what we know best. Um, and, but I imagine you have a, a good selection of people that you're referring business to and fro is that correct? Absolutely. And so it's something that I guess the more the more of a diverse range of people that you start to see, the more you look out for different people. So I now have an absolutely fantastic women's health, pelvic health physio who's on my email list and we chat away very regularly. Her name is Grace Keane and she's based up at the Portland and she also works at CHHP, but she's fantastic. Then I've got other physios because again, if you want... If you've got somebody who's got sort of degenerative issues or maybe they picked up a shoulder injury, you want a specialist that you can kind of say, I know this chap or I know this this lady and they would be wonderful to help you. Or maybe you've got somebody who is a little bit more stressed and needs that emotional support. So you'd have some kind of um, 
more sort of mental health practitioners there, or it might be that you have a really good reflexologist. And I've got a great reflexologist and a great acupuncturist and a great sort of aromatherapy masseuse. And I've got fantastic Pilates trainers and people who are specific more to like postnatal recovery and all of that kind of stuff. Um, so yes, and I, I did sort of, I wanted to say something as well, but I forgot to, which is actually probably quite classic when I, what I'm going to say when it comes to lifestyle suggestions. And that is the importance of lifelong learning. And actually one of the best things that we can do for our brain is to challenge it. And this could be absolutely anything. There are some really, again, really interesting books. If, you, if you're interested, there's a book called, um, it's quite new. There's a gentleman called Daniel Leverton who wrote a book um, called Your Brain on Music, uh, which is quite famous. And he wrote another one, but he's just released something called The Aging Brain, which is absolutely brilliant. So I definitely have a look at that. And there's another book called Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have To. So it's talking about this progressive oxidation and inflammation within the body and kind of explaining a little bit more. But they're they're relatively easy to read. Um, so they are just interesting. But they always talk about this idea of, say, for example, if you've always done crosswords, doing crosswords every single day is great. But at the same point, it's not a challenge for you. So start trying to do something like, sudoku or code words or something else or if you've always been a walker why don't you try doing something like swimming or maybe you take up golf or you just find something that you put your your sort of skill set to a different use so I have actually a lot of um, my parents family friends did started to do things like fermenting their own foods or making their own bread or those kind of practical tasks that you actually see a nice result at the end of when they perhaps perhaps have a little bit more time but all of these different challenges create what we want, which is neuroplasticity, which is that, again, it's similar to the way that we're, we were talking about with the bones. If you give the body cause to regenerate and repair, then it will do. If it doesn't have to, why would it waste resources there? And what we want to make sure is that you are using all the wonderful things you're putting in and all of this, this kind of stuff to create a body that is optimal for as long as we can be. Um, so yes, pick something you've always wanted to do and and get it in there. And even if you, you don't have to do it every single day, but I mean, I love a good crossword, but my dad is an avid code worder and it drives me mad that he's so much better than I am. <laughs> so I am trying at least once or twice a week to do a code word and it's a progressive skill, um, but it's, it's finding those little ways to, yes, create challenges um, that that will just improve our health and well-being. And hopefully then that keeps our memory nice and sharp as well, um, yeah. which is yeah. very And doing those things is and it's so good for us on so many levels. I mean, I've started making kombucha. I don't know why I avoided making it for so long, but I did. Mm-hmm. And I love it. And, I, I mean, I, I couldn't not mention the rebounder that I have. I mean, I love my Bellican. It's probably been one of the greatest. It is one of the best things that I've done for myself of just getting on and bouncing and getting on a rebounder. You're using so many different muscles and you're having to work on your balance and it's just been fantastic so yeah lymphatic system so I can't shout out about it enough and those things make such a huge difference in our lives in so many ways so you're right I I haven't got into Sudoku in years so I'll probably (laughs) that up I think what you mentioned there as well that's really important is balance because confidence in balance so one of the things that I always get people to do and I think they hate me for it but whenever I see somebody or if I go to their house we will always I will always get them to I will say to them what is the lowest point that you could get off the floor without using your hands and I will do this with everybody and it doesn't they don't have to be they could be under 30 but if you cannot get off the floor without the use of your hands, you need to be able to. Because what if you were to fall over? And it doesn't matter whether you're 30 or whether you're 60, you need to be able to be strong enough and stable enough to lift your own body weight from the floor. And if that means that we start off on a dining chair and all they do is they plant both feet on the floor and they stand up as much as they can and then they put their hands on the table and they rise to the top, that's okay. But that means that every single day they need to do 10 of those standing positions. And then once they get to the point when they can comfortably do 10 without the use of their hands, we lower the surface. And you've got to get them all the way down to the floor 
And it's that just those very simple things, the confidence in knowing that you can go up a flight of stairs or down a flight of stairs without having to hold onto a handrail, all of that kind of stuff is the extra bit in terms of those lifestyle things that you always just want to make sure that you check. Um, because again, if somebody's got very poor balance, that would be something to get them back to their GP for. Because if you're working with them progressively and it's not about strength, but they are wobbly, then maybe they have an issue with their inner ear or they've got something else going on. So these are little things that you just want to check out for. Um, but they're, I mean, that's not beyond our scope of practice, unless obviously you've got somebody who's just recovered from hip surgery, don't get them to get on the floor. But at the same yeah. point, if you've got somebody who's <laughs> relatively active and you're kind of working on other things, it's a good, I like these little things. It's another thing. So if I get somebody who's got, who gets really bad headaches, I always get them just to do little eye exercises and I say sort of like, if you're looking up to the top corner of your, your eyes, like right to the right without moving your head, does that pull? And then look down to the bottom left-hand corner. If they go, yes. And I say, well, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but your headaches aren't actually a headache. You've just got really tight eye muscles. So those are the little buy-ins that if you can get, if you can get people to sort of see those and they go, oh my goodness, how did you know that? And I did it for three days and my headache's completely gone and they've plagued me for the last 16 months. And those are <laughs> nice little things to have in your back pocket to get people to go, ah, oh, she knows what she's talking about. I will eat all of the vegetables that she tells me to do and drink all of my water. Um, but yes, I went off track then, but I would say that no. yes, balance is very, very important um, as you get older. So do make sure that you're practicing that. Even if it's just walking on the edge of a carpet to start off with, if somebody's really un unconfident, don't get them on the edge of a step. Just say, I want you to be able to walk one foot in front of the other along the edge of your carpet without veering and they'll get more confident and they'll get better at it and then you can get them standing on one leg and very gently raising the other leg off the floor and all of that kind of thing but okay get creative with it you're very good you're very good is there <laughs> anything else we haven't hit on with this for this conversation we've had today is there anything i think maybe just to conclude just to sort of say that if you are if you are advancing don't ever put anything down to just getting old because it's not really a thing. So that the obviously we do slow down and there is a, I think it's, it's sort of a rite of passage to not be racing around as much as you were doing when you were a little bit younger. But at the same point, you shouldn't be doing it because you feel like your body can't support you anymore. Um, so there are, there are always tools and there are always options. And just because you are a little bit, yes, just because you're a little bit more golden doesn't mean that you should be any less shiny uh, or any less sort of able to cartwheel. Not that I encourage cartwheeling. I can't cartwheel and I'm definitely <laughs> lower, lower than 60. Um, but yes, I, I guess I always just think that aging is a, a fabulous, a fabulous thing. Um, but it should be something that we're very much in control of in terms of how it influences our health rather than the other way around. Mm, yeah. That's uh, a good way. It's a good way to end. I wish my mom had seen you. She would have loved it. She would have said, oh, she's a whippersnapper. She annoys me, but okay, I'll get on with it. <laughs> That's exactly, I think, how my grandpa uh, would probably, I don't think, well, there are there are days and I'm not entirely sure he knows what I do. But at the same point when he was um, not very well and he was coming out of hospital and I sort of said, right, grandpa, I'm really sorry, but I'm going to make you drink a milkshake every single day. And what he didn't know was that it was, frozen banana and whey protein and full fat cream and all kinds of weird liposomal nutrients and he absolutely loved it and I didn't realize until the age of 92 that the man had never had peanut butter so suffice to say <laughs> he now goes through a good jar of peanut butter most weeks and he absolutely loves it um but, yeah I think he it got him back up to the weight that he needed to be and he now looks forward to his Phoebe shake uh once a day so <laughs> oh, that's really sweet. Oh, that's sweet. Well, on that note, I think we will leave it there for now. But thank you so much. And um, we'll just have to see what we come up with next time. But I really, really appreciate your coming on the show and, and sharing information with me. And it, it helps me. It helps so many people listening. I know it does. And it, it's just encouraging and always entertaining. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me back. And yes, we will, we will find something else to talk about next time. <laughs> always, always. 
Well, folks, that's all for today. I really appreciate your sitting in and listening in to Phoebe share her tips and insights on how she works with such a variety of people in various ages and stages of their lives. It's always interesting to hear the tips and insights that people like Phoebe have to share with us. Now then, we'll provide the usual links and information that was shared with you, along with Phoebe's contact details if you'd like to get in touch with her. She's on various social media platforms, and she has some great recipes on her website, so I would encourage you to check them out if you haven't done so already. Now then, there are a few things that I'd like to talk with you about as usual, and one of them is going to be about that Belican. You really do have to bounce soft to feel good. I can happily say it is one of the best things that I have done for myself in a long time. We know exercise and movement is such a key thing for each and every one of us. And Abelican is one of those really nice additions that you can bring into your life. If you'd like to find out more information about them, there'll be a link in the show notes as well, or you can get in touch with me. I am an affiliate of this wonderful organization, and I would be delighted to talk with you about them at any time. Now then, I'd like to update you on the event that Anita Beardsley of Love Nutrition and I are organizing. It has been rescheduled. It's going to be on the 27th of March, 2021 at Engineer's House in Bristol. It is going to be on the multifaceted effects of gut health. And I am happy to say that Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Elizabeth Phillips, sports medicine physio Claire Sinton, and Dr. Caroline Gilmartin are all joining us and we'll update you on the wonderful sponsors that we're going to be bringing on board. Many of the speakers are going to be able to join me on podcasts and Instagram lives over the next few months so you can hear tidbits about what they will be sharing with us in March next year. I'd also like to thank those of you who have subscribed to my podcast. I'd like to thank you for sharing these with others that you think will find them of interest. And to those of you who've left me a review, I'm always grateful. I've also got a great rota of people that are going to be joining me over the next few months. I am really looking forward to sharing their stories and the insights that they have to share with you. So be sure and watch this space. I'd like to thank you again for joining me. And until next time, I'd like to wish you and yours the very best of health. Bye for now. Bye.